0: Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. We gather every Sunday at 930 and 11 o'clock and would love for you to join us. If we can do anything for you at all, please email us at hello at cornerstonetulsa.org. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching.
1: As Nina said, uh, this is a teaching text from Proverbs 4. Uh, Verses 20 to 27. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Let's pray. Lord, like your, like the first verse says, turn your ear to my words. Just let your word and your spirit, Lord, just guide our walk of faith and just be a protection for our hearts. Bless John today and, and his message and just let it individually speak to each of us. Thank you for Cornerstone uh, and just the mission that we're here to do. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks. Y'all can be seated. This year we're reading through the Bible as a church, and maybe you've been tracking along. And in this last week we read the book of Proverbs and then restarted the book of Psalms, which tells you where we are in the year, 150 Psalms. But even if you're not tracking along with the year of the Bible, maybe you've read the Proverbs before, uh, which are really great, because there are 31. I feel like I'm booming with the voice of God. Um, there are 31 Proverbs, so you can read the book of Proverbs every month and pretty well cover it. And it's a really great book, full of these, these like sound bites of wisdom, especially the second half of the book. And so maybe you've never done this before, I'd love to encourage you just to pick up the the book of Proverbs. It's super uh, easy reading, but it's not simple or simplistic reading. So I hope that you'll check that out. And Joe, thanks for reading the text for us. Emily told me a story recently, Emily is my wife, and she's just a voracious reader. Uh, She's read so many books in the last handful of years and has kind of jump-started my love of reading and uh, I mean, listens to tons of podcasts as she's carting kids around and doing dishes. And she told me one of these stories that she came across that I found so inspiring, that there was a father who had three kids. And as as each kid turned about 12, uh, he had this rather unusual practice of uh, he would watch television or movies with the kid, and they would watch like the filthiest stuff. Like they would watch MTV, they would watch movies that are not 12-year-old age appropriate. Really anything that the child wanted to watch, that his dad would watch it with them. But it was on the stipulation that as they're watching these things, afterward, they would have a conversation reflecting on two questions. The first question is, uh, what does this movie or show say? What is it saying? And this question is about what is the underlying message or value or truth or story that this book or or this movie or this TV show is portraying? What's the story it's telling? Which would lead to the second question, is it true? So watching MTV, watching like crazy stuff on Netflix, watching movies, every time they watched this with their dad, they would have the conversation, what is it saying, what is the underlying message, and is that message true? Is that something that aligns with my values? And dad told them, after age 16, so four years of going through this exercise with dad, I am never again going to tell you what you can or cannot watch. So four years of reflection, and then you're on your own at age 16. There is not going to be a rule in our house about what you can watch. And the effect of this experiment is that the kids were ruined for trashy television and movies because Dad had cursed them with a conscience, (laughs) Dad had cursed them with this brain that was discerning and wise and looking for messages and evaluating with whether that fit with the child's own grid for, like, this is what makes a good and a beautiful life. It is way easier to create rules. In our family, we do not watch rated R movies and we do not watch television shows with this kind of rating. It's way easier to create rules. But rules are built on the foundation of somebody's values. And in this case, it's the parent's values. And if the parent were to go away, many times for the child, the values would then also go away. But this is a clever dad who wants the child to develop their own uh, competency and and, um, uh, being conversational about their own values. And so he's training them to develop a wise and a discerning heart for themselves. Dad's clever maneuvering empowered the kids to develop their own framework for values, and dad's clever maneuvering is a practice in what we call wisdom. And in the story of the dad with the three kids, wisdom shows up everywhere. Uh, Wisdom comes from the dad's own insight that his children are going to need to develop a grid for interpreting a complex world. The dad had observed how how he had grown up, observed how all the other kids just ahead of his own had grown up and discerned, we need to develop a grid for making wise choices. Wisdom shows up in the creativity of the dad and how he trained his children in wisdom because there are tons of things that tons of parents do that don't work, And, and kids ultimately reject the values of their parents because they never get embodied within their own life. The dad had creativity and wisdom in his approach. There was wisdom demonstrated by the dad in encouraging this process of reflection with his children. Wisdom asks questions. Wisdom is curious. Wisdom is inquisitive. Wisdom was guiding the children through this process of evaluating through the lens of of one's values. And finally, wisdom showed up as the lessons learned. These kids, two of whom went on to become authors, were just wrecked for shallow thinking and shallow living because dad had set them up on a trajectory of wisdom. Wisdom is a disposition of the heart. Wisdom is a finely cultivated knack for living well. When you hear that word wisdom, somebody comes to mind, who is it for you? Who is wise in your life? What are they like? Wisdom is a finely cultivated knack for living well. It's the art of living skillfully the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. And there's an interesting way in which uh, the Bible introduces the concept of wisdom long before the book of Proverbs. This comes from Exodus 31, and this is going to really stand out because it's not how we typically think of wisdom. Uh, God says, see, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. They're talking about the construction of the tabernacle, if you can remember that, at Mount Sinai. I have filled this Bezalel with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze. He's filled him with the Spirit of God and wisdom, not just to, like, make good choices as a parent or a citizen, but he's filled him with wisdom, with skills in artistic design, and this really gets at the Hebrew notion of wisdom, that wisdom is not just like these abstract ideas. Wisdom is a, is a skill. It's a kind of applied knowledge for living well. And so if you think about like the development of wisdom through the lens of like the development of a skill, there are people in here who are really good woodworkers or you, uh, we have great artists in the room. How does one develop a skill like that? Uh, well, oftentimes it starts with a kind of apprenticeship. Uh, You're learning from someone else. You're borrowing from their knowledge and their experience. And so uh, one of the first things you need to do in, in learning a skill is you practice imitation. Imitation, you study the work of other artists. You do what other people tell you to do to begin developing, like, the use of your hands and your dexterity and the instincts of that artist. You have imitation. You're trying their methods. Uh, In seventh grade, my parents bought me a Takamine G-Series acoustic guitar, and uh, I was playing around, did a little bit of guitar lessons, but the the biggest place where I learned was Wednesday night at youth group, the worship leader, Josh Marhofer, let me go stand at the back of the stage. I was actually plugged in, but the cord was going to nothing. (laughs) That was my skill level. And he let me just imitate just playing along with other people who know how to do it. I watched all kinds of videos, learning to try to play Dave Matthews' band songs on the guitar, and I learned how to play ultimately like myself by learning first to play like other people. It's imitation. The second thing you need in developing a skill as an artist or a craftsman is, is just practice, to honing your skills, doing the same things again and again and again, failing but keeping, uh, keeping the effort up, keep trying. You need reflection, evaluating, okay, how did that go? Why did that go so poorly? How can I improve my craft, especially getting feedback from someone who's farther ahead than you? Getting that feedback and then adjusting and practicing all over again. And then finally, you just need time. Now, the people who have really honed their craft, creativity has not s- struck like lightning. They've been putting in the work. Uh, uh, amateurs think that it just happens all at once. Professionals know you've got to show up and do the work and keep trying. And so it takes time to develop a skill, the development of instincts and the unlearning of bad instincts. Well, if all of those things are required to develop, in, to develop a skill in art or in fashion or in woodworking or all of these things, how does, it, how does one learn to be skillful in living well? How do we cultivate and grow in wisdom. And it's the same four qualities that you need, the same four behaviors you need in developing any other skill. There's imitation. So I asked the question earlier, who are people in your world who live well, who are wise? Imitation says, I have something to learn from them. So you ask who's living well, you ask questions about how they live. How do they make the choices that they make? Why did they decide to do that when this was way more obvious? Why do they do what they do? I got to have lunch a couple years ago with a leader I really respect, and I asked him just flat out over lunch, like, how did you become you? It was like, what is the, the nonfiction book you can give me that will tell me how to be you because I would like to read that book? Interestingly, he'd read almost no nonfiction like leadership books, but he had devoured biographies especially for him, presidential biographies. He had studied how people in positions that he wanted to be in had behaved in their development process, and he was learning by imitation how to be like them. It's biographies. And we get to imitate and learn from people, whether we know them or not. We can be, you know, students and apprentices to these masters through books uh, through sermons, through, through, through teaching, through observation, we can imitate in a healthy way the best of the people that we admire. There's a story of a missionary who went to this remote tribe uh, in, in South America, and he had, had a printed, had a Bible that was just for them in their unique heart language, and he left this Bible with them and said, read about Jesus, and whatever he does, you guys do too. And the people, not having had been jaded by like Western Christianity, saw what Jesus did, had faith, and they did the things that Jesus did. It was imitation. How do we learn to live well? We imitate. Second, we, we practice. It's like, okay, I'm going to try this myself. I'm watching how you live. I'm going to try to apply those principles to my life. I'm going to, to fail forward. Okay, I get good motivation. I really, really screwed up that one. I have a memory of I'd watched this one talk by a pastor like seven years ago and I tried to apply the principles and people shared with me, gosh, John, I just feel like you beat me up. It's like, okay, that is not how that was supposed to go. Good motivation, bad execution. We practice. Same with developing a craft. We reflect. I tried to apply those principles of the person I respect in my life and it blew up in my face. Why did that happen? Or if something, even if something went well, Why was it successful? How can I improve? It's practicing, reflecting, adjusting, practicing again, and getting better. We journal. We process with wise people. It's fools and crazy people who do the same things again and again and again and never ask why it never works and keep doing the same old thing. Wise people practice and reflect and adjust and practice again. And then finally, it just takes time doing stuff again and again and again, learning the lessons of others year after year. And the sum of all of this, the sum of this experience of of imitation and practice and reflection and time, the insights that are gained, the the willingness to submit to the process itself, the habit of trying and reflecting and adjusting and trying again, the sum of all that knowledge is wisdom. It's, It's experiential knowledge. This is knowledge or wisdom or knowledge on the left and experience or wisdom on the right. You only acquire those connections by experience and practice and reflection and adjustment and time. Wisdom is not simple. Wisdom is not easy or convenient or everybody would be wise. Uh, wisdom is slow to acquire, it's inconvenient, it's costly but it is endlessly valuable. And the book of Proverbs, which I hope you've been looking at or maybe you'll look at in the weeks to come, is all about the development of and the acquisition of wisdom. And one of Solomon's Proverbs says simply, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. The hunger, the ambition to learn Embedded in that, the recognition that I don't now have what I need. What I need is outside of me. That is the beginning of wisdom. The willingness to sit under a teacher who knows more than you do. The willingness to be scrutinized. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. As we look at the text that Joe just read, uh, we see that much of the first half of of the Book of Wisdom is this, this instruction, this conversation between a father and a son or between a master and a student. And as we talk through the text, especially thinking of it from a fatherly perspective, like imagine the best dad or the best mom you've ever heard of or imagined. I hear the affection and the desire for this child to be well. This is what Joe just read. Son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. Why? Because they're life to those who find them, they're health to a person's whole body. Let's just leave it there for a second. Uh, A great exercise for you to study this on your own uh, this afternoon would be to go to Proverbs chapter 2 and just study the whole thing. Study the words like we're going to do right here, the themes, the repetition. Pay attention. Turn your ear. Don't let them out of their sight. There's like, I am fixated upon everything that you're saying. That's what the father's encouraging of the child. Pay attention. Turn your ear. Treasure the insights that I give you in the core of your being and guard them. Why? And then there's the word for. It's, it's going to explain what happened above it. For, here's why you should do this. The words that I give you, the insights that I speak to you are going to preserve your life. They're going to bring health and life to your body. I was reading a book this week called Generation to Generation by Edwin Friedman. And Friedman is a family systems theorist. And he had a chapter on the relationship between one's emotional and relational health and their physical health. They say how problems in the one, often in ways that are not clear through causal links, cause problems in the other. And he gave example after example of people who had significant physical issues who, by dealing with uh, like long-time relational challenges, especially in their family of origin, saw those physical issues evaporate into thin air. There's a relationship uh, between between the way that we live and the way that our bodies function. And this wise parent in Proverbs chapter four says, "Treasure my words." Store them in the core of your being so that they can bring health and life to your body. And then give some additional instructions for this child, the son, to hold on to. He says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Some of you have not thought about the principle of guarding your heart since you got a purity ring in the seventh grade. <laughs> it's talking about more than just like, like middle school and high school relationships. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from your heart. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Above all else. It's like, okay, remember, this is the one thing that you really need to hold on to. Above all else of chief importance, before you like, don't miss anything else, pay attention to this. Guard your heart. Protect your soul, the core of your person. And he says, why? Because everything that you do, all of your words, all of your thoughts, all of the way that you live out and the personality you project into the world, it all flows from that core of who you are. And this is a simple conversation about input and output. What comes in is going to come out. Uh, We all live out what's on our insides. So if you want to change your outsides, it's not just behavior management. There's an appropriate evaluation of what's going on on the inside of me, which is exactly what Jesus talked about. Jesus said this in Luke 6. No good tree bears bad fruit. There's a relationship between one's insides and one's outsides. And nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick fig trees from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man or woman brings good things out of the good stored up in or her heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. There's a relationship between what we, what we project into the world and what's going on in the insides of us. And I was thinking about this. I was like, what's a metaphor for getting my brain? The tree metaphor from Jesus is great. But what's a metaphor for, like, understanding this? And I was thinking about the water treatment process in the city of Tulsa. I got this from the city of Tulsa website. It's pretty pretty helpful. You won't be able to see it well from where you are. But it details the process for taking care of the water that the city is going to send out into your bathroom and kitchen faucet. There's a detailed uh, process there. There are people who, like, know the ins and outs of purifying and cleaning the water that comes into our house. And we want them to have a detailed process because this stuff that comes into our house is ultimately going to come into our bodies, and what comes into our bodies has an effect on this. And I'm so appreciative for the unsung heroes of the city of Tulsa who, when I turn on the water, I don't have to be afraid to give it to my children. There's a detailed process for cleaning what goes into us. And I'm not going to... Oh, man, I just thought of a horrible joke. I'm not going to share it. You've been on a mission trip in a third world country where things have come into you and then things have come out of you that have been unholy. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh the, oh my gosh, don't share it, don't share it. I have some really funny stories about that. On some of you, would anyone like me to tell it? No. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Emily has the best story, which I will not tell you. It's hilarious. Uh, um, gosh, move on, John. Our friends in Honduras when we lived there. No, it's not for the good of the church. It's not edifying. We're going we're gonna to eat food after this, okay? But I went to a country, where I was, I was unaccustomed to the things that came with our food. And so I vomited. This is the tame story. I was vomiting out the side of a moving van one time going down the road in Honduras. But in, in, the, in Honduras and in many, like, third-world countries, they don't have this six-step process for purifying water that comes to them. When we were in in Honduras, in the community where we worked, Magote, they would bring up this huge truck that would spill water the whole way down the mountain, and the workers would take off this huge hose, and our friends would have these pilas, these little containers for water, and they would pour water into buckets, into these containers that also got rainwater that was exposed to all kinds of elements. And so many of our friends had parasites and had bacteria and were constantly unwell. Because what was coming into them was toxic, and it was having an effect on their outer life. They were were sick, and at times they made other people sick. Some of us are completely undiscerning when it comes to what we dump into our heart. We feel like we can watch anything, we can listen to anything, as if we're invincible. As as if in taking these things in, it's not going to have an effect on our heart. We're taking in things that are not safe. And it may not be strychnine. It may not be like instantaneously you watch that and this poison shows up in your life. But it's much more sinister. It's not just the presence of toxins that that makes us sicker and less well over time. It's also the absence of the good stuff that God designed to make our bodies and our hearts flourish. Uh, Paul talked about um, uh, keeping, keeping a sense of purity so that your prayers aren't hindered. Uh, in First John, it says, uh, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we keep the good stuff in and the bad stuff out, we have fellowship with one another. But by monitoring the stuff that comes in, we're monitoring what comes out, and it preserves our friendships. It pre- preserves our life together. So it may not be strychnine, the things that we take in, but we are far too undiscerning in what we watch. It's be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. The author of Proverbs says, watch your input. Watch what happens in you because it's going to have an effect on you. And then finally, the author uh, concludes, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Don't turn to the right or to the left and keep your foot from evil. So listen, like pay attention to the repetition. Look straight ahead, fix your gaze, give careful thought, be steadfast. And it gives us imagination of keep in your mind's eye the kind of person that you want to become. Keep fixated in your mind's eye like this is what I'm shooting for. It's Stephen Covey's principle, begin with the end in mind. When you start to learn an instrument or to develop a craft, you have a vision in your mind, I want to be skillful at this instrument or I want to be good like that person in in developing my, my skill or my craft. When you start the process of learning to be wise, of gaining wisdom, the end in mind wants to be, I want to be a wise person who flourishes in everything I do. And it's this invitation to resolve I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to be well. I'm going to be wise. I had a mentor um, who gave me one of my favorite backhanded compliments of all time. We were early in getting to know each other, so it was kind of forward what he said. Some of you have heard me share this, where he said, like, John, you're not a very impressive person. Thanks. I was already struggling with confidence issues, Dave. He said, you're not a very impressive person at first, but you get the sense that you're slowly going one direction over time. And I think that's gonna do really well for you. And it was, kind of hurt my feelings, also one of my favorite compliments of all time. Uh, and, it's, and it's the cry of my heart. Lots of people are impressive. Lots of people, like, they make, they make an impression on you and are like, man, that is the most charismatic person I've ever met. And I would rather we be uncharismatic than we be wise. Like the cry of my heart is not that we would just be outwardly impressive and attractive to other people, but the people would get the sense over time that we, we have cultivated an aura and a person of wisdom, that we would be people as, as a church, as, as people who follow Jesus, that we would be characterized as people who take the long view, who, who, yeah. who practice delayed gratification, who, who slowly go one direction. People who are doing the hard work of not just complaining about how the world is or dealing with everyone else, but doing the hard work of learning to be healthy, deliberately pursuing wisdom, and then just treasuring it in the core of our being. Emily and I went to South Dakota last fall in November, and I saw Crazy Horse National Monument, which if you don't know anything about that, you have to go research Crazy Horse because it's awesome. Awesome. But we also went to Mount Rushmore, and some people had told us that Mount Rushmore was kind of a drive-by, you know, amusement, which is totally not the case. You're driving through the Black Hills of South Dakota, and you make your way into the park, and you take your picture with the sign, and you get into the parking lot, and you slowly walk through, and your view's kind of obstructed by the entrance, and you come in, and you look up at this mountain, and it has faces (laughs) carved into it. And it's awe-inspiring. It took hundreds of people and 14 years of work to create the faces that are just etched into our our memory as Americans. It's awe-inspiring when you think about how it started out as just a blank canvas, a, a regular mountain. 14 years, which is 14 years plus the planning on the front end. It was 14 years, that's something like 5,000 days of waking up in the morning, having your coffee, harnessing up, climbing up the mountain, and then scaling down with a chisel and hoping to God you can't screw it up because you can't glue it back on. 14 years, amazingly, nobody was killed in the production of this, but this was quite an amazing feat. 14 days of coming in and and hoping you're making progress hoping that someday anybody is going to come look at this and we didn't just make one really big, expensive screw-up. And the workers of this and Borglund, the the architect, the designer of this whole thing, demonstrate for me a, a great example of people who are embracing slow work, who are practicing delayed gratification, who are taking the long view in the interest of making a contribution that's going to last. And that is a great metaphor for the kind of life that all of us want to have. And maybe you've never thought about it. What do you hope to be the output of your life? What do you hope to be the contribution of your life? And I want to ask you, because just because we've got this time, uh, you've come on a Sunday morning, I was thinking about how sweet the Spirit was and the music this morning, where our hearts are just tenderized, we're listening I don't see any of you texting or being distracted by your children right now, although you may be, and it's okay. that happens. I want to ask you a couple questions just to reflect on your life, on your existence, and to think about the, the contribution that you're bringing. Are you a person who's on the trajectory to being a person of wisdom? So maybe you're day one on the mountain, chiseling away. That's okay. It's okay to be at day one. But are you on a trajectory of becoming a person of wisdom. As you think about the person that you are and the person that you are becoming, does who you are becoming align with the values that you would state? Like, here's what I want to define my life and my existence. And we can also think about it through the grid of those practices of how one develops a skill or how one becomes wise. Think about your life through the lens of imitation, at the subconscious level when you're in when like what informs your decisions what people are you watching that inform how you behave and engage in the world who are you imitating there's the quote show me your friends or i think you say show me your heroes and i could show you your future who are you imitating this gets at the concept of practice what are your practices what are your habits what are the things that you do every day that are consciously or unconsciously shaping the person that you are becoming? You, if you are what you repeatedly do or what you repeatedly think about, what do you repeatedly do? What are you continuing to think about? That third theme, if not imitation and practice, but finally, reflection. To what degree do you practice reflection? Do you ask the why questions about your own behavior? Why did I do that? Why did I make that purchase? It's kind of like the questions with the dad. Like, what's the story here, and is it true? Why did I do that? I did that because I wanted you to notice me doing that. Asking those questions of why, 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 digging underneath the surface and reflecting. To what degree are you practicing reflection? And then, in the interest of time, how are you spending your your time how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives, this is Annie Dillard. And the answer to these questions, if we were to really entertain them, may be sobering. Um, some of you will be familiar with the Enneagram, uh, and anytime I read my chapter on the Enneagram, I'm generally depressed for two or three days. <laughs> That's how you know you found your type, by the way. As you think so- about these, uh, these questions, like really taking an honest and a candid look at your own life, thinking about the trajectory you're on and evaluating if that's really where you want to be. You may find those answers uh, sobering. You may be on a different trajectory or a shallow trajectory, and you're like, dang it, if I'm genuinely honest. Like the stuff I say I value dies at the end of my sentence because it doesn't show up in my life. You may have made harmful choices, and you're dealing with the consequences, but no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter the choices you've made in the past, you have the opportunity to choose how you behave today. You have the the choice to respond differently, to behave differently, and that, that thought, that ambition, I'm going to change and learn is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, reflect, think adjust, practice differently, and trust God with the results. No matter where you are in your story, there's good news for you. James, the brother of Jesus, says if anybody lacks wisdom, anybody, let them ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. What a hopeful sentence. Let them ask God, the ultimate teacher, the ultimate master who has all perspective beyond time and the universe and space. Let them ask God who gives generously to everybody without judgment so dummies like us can raise our hand and ask with confidence, he hears my prayer and he's not judging me in the process. There's good news for you. No matter where you are or where you've been, there's good news. And undoubtedly in pointing to God and asking for wisdom, God is going to point us back to the ultimate display of wisdom that he has ever shown the world. This is Paul in 1 Corinthians. He said, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But what we preach is Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, Jesus Is the power of God, and Jesus Himself is the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This aspiration, this ambition to be people of wisdom, is ultimately synonymous with being people who are shaped by the gospel, who sit at the feet of Jesus and implore Him to teach us how to be well and how to be wise. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this, sit at the feet of Jesus, our teacher, and ask him how to learn to be well. And no matter where you are, he will be delighted to share and to teach and to coach you without judgment. So don't be afraid. No matter where you are or the trajectory you're currently on, the good news of the gospel is that we can reroute, and there's hope for us. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are, the scripture says, the mystery that was kept hidden for ages and generations. Jesus, you are the wisdom and the power of God. You are the word who at the beginning was with God and was God. Through you, all things were made. Without you, nothing was made that has been made. We believe that's true, and so we believe you are the master of human relationships. You are the master of of wise stewardship of our resources. You are the master of our physical health. You are the master of, of being wise in our vocations. You are the master of parenting. You are the master of navigating singleness because you were single. So, Lord Jesus, we as your people, we, we want to hear your wisdom. We want to be instructed. We want to be people who take the long view, who embrace the, the slow work of going one direction. And I pray, Lord Jesus, in our journey that you'd encourage us today, that you'd, that you'd um, buoy us, help, you, help us to be resilient. Help us not to lose heart when we're not seeing progress. Help us to trust you, the architect, the designer, the pioneer, and the author of our faith. And Lord Jesus, as we come around the table today, we admit that there are lots of ways in which we've just screwed things up, where we have put ourselves on a trajectory toward destruction and not toward wisdom and flourishing. And for all of us, you know, now, you, you, you may bring with you a particular guilt of something that you've done the last week or a particular guilt or shame that just feels etched onto your identity. And scriptures tell us when we, when we come to the table, we need to admit that stuff. If we live in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sins. So maybe just in the quiet of your heart, you need to bring to the light things that you've done that have been destructive or shameful, things that you've been thinking about yourself or about other people, bring them into the light. Let God purify you. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will purify you and forgive you of all righteousness. If you lack wisdom, he gives generously to all without finding fault. Just name in your own heart, God, here's where I need your wisdom. Here's where I need your forgiveness. Here's where I need you to restore my dignity. And Jesus, as we come to the table, I pray that you'll meet us, that you'll nourish us, that your life will become alive in us, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead would be quickened and we would be alert and aware of it in us. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you you love us, you're patient with us, and you give generously to us without finding fault. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.